So we've, we've introduced uh, a few different ways of cultivating matter over the last few days. And really an encouragement to find your own way with this practice. It seems that uh, different approaches work for different people. And uh, as I said on the first day, really, uh, this a certain creativity is really helpful with meta practice. You know, is it phrases that works for you? Is it single words that work for you? Is it more kind of visual uh, imagining? or a more just an energetic sense of well-wishing. Experimenting, playing, seeing what feels most supportive for really uh, naturalizing these basic orientations of the heart-mind. I think an important principle is both to start where it's easiest and also not to move on from where it's easiest until you're really ready to do so. When cooking, making a sauce, this, this knowledge is theoretical for me. But <laughs> I understand that when making a sauce, it's really helpful to work at developing the roux first, the, the basis of the sauce, before a- adding your liquid. Maybe where I was going wrong. You know? I think meta is like that, that really to start where it's easiest and kind of be cultivating that and naturalizing that kind of embodying that, getting the the feeling of that, and not a sense that I have to expand through all the categories each time I do meta. Really not. Really not. There's something in this also about what our hearts are ready for. It doesn't help to go prematurely to more difficult categories really trust your own heart and kind of nervous system around that. Sensing what you need. Letting this be a practice that involves plenty of time kind of dwelling in what's resourcing. You know, some of you have been speaking about particular kind of benefactors or people for whom you find it naturally evokes the sense of metta and really kind of return, lingering there, coming back to that, letting that be where the majority of the time is spent in the practice. This, this seems wise. So most of this, uh, in a moment we'll sit with this and I'm going to leave basically in silence 
for you to, to work and play with this as feels most appropriate for you right now, in whatever way that is. But just a few comments first about the neutral category that you uh, were exploring, I think, with Yuka. This is, of course, the largest category because it in- includes most of the 7.5 billion or whatever it is who we don't personally know as well as those countless other living beings that we don't personally know. And we can sense that just as with neutral Vedana in the body or the breath, often the attention doesn't stay with, stay connected with neutral sensation. So with the neutral category, because there isn't that kind of vividness of shared story and history, it's easy sometimes to disconnect. And I've been reflecting in recent times of the social cost of that. How are not seeing, not listening to, not caring about, kind of indifference to people in our society as well as in our personal lives, you know, comes at a great social cost. And Christina Feldman has been recommending the practice of not having neutral people in one's life. And it feels like there's a deep ethical and timely and even urgent wisdom in that. You know, the, the Jewish writer Martin Buber wrote about the difference between I-it relationships and I-thou relationships and how it's all too easy for our relationships to become functional, where we're seeing people in terms of what they can do for me, or the the role they have for me. And he wrote poignantly and prophetically about the cost of that. So, and, and we can sense the difference between that kind of flat, not seeing of others, and the the I-thou, willingness to see the humanity, willingness to sense the vulnerability, willingness to honor the longing for freedom from suffering, for happiness that exists in us all. And You know, this is a practice not just for our cushions, you know, but for our lives. So, I think it was Emmanuel Levinas who said, uh, every human face we see conveys the quiet message 
please don't harm me. And so, if you're choosing to practice with the neutral category today, really, you know, to let that sense that actually this is really important, this is really important, that we practice seeing the humanity of those who we may habitually overlook. can be a powerful motivator. We sense the the deep connections between this practice and ethics, personal, social, societal, ecological. And it's really important to recognize that those ethics sometimes require that our metta has strength, fierceness, the capacity to say no, to stand up and protest, to say not in my name, and to join with others in seeking to protect when metta is translated as it often is as a kind of boundless friendliness don't let's hear that as not having boundaries not having principles and a keen sense for justice. The statues of Kuan Yin that you find that you can mention with a thousand hands and arms. You know, some of those hands are holding willow branches to bless or vases of ointment to soothe. Some of them are holding flaming swords, axes, manifestations of compassion in Tibetan Buddhism can sometimes be wrathful, terrifying, you know, because that's sometimes how our metta and our compassion need to manifest. And we live in times where this may be asked of us. The, the countless ways in which violence shows itself personally, structurally, systemically. Call us to appropriate response. And this can take many different forms. This can take many different forms and needs to take different forms. Some may be more active than others. There's a Zen story where the 
the student asks the teacher, what's the goal of a lifetime of practice? It's a big question. The answer comes back, an appropriate response. And I find that a motivating reason to come on retreat and to sit. That actually this is about cultivating our capacity for appropriate response in the form you know, that is appropriate for this particular life that each of us may be living and appropriate for our times and what we may need to be called to in different ways, in different ways. But it's so important to be clear that metta, this cultivating of, of a, a more and more unconditional friendliness, is not about condoning. It's not about passivity. It's not about denial or privileged distance. You know, the Buddha really acknowledged that that these Brahma-vihara qualities can slip into these forms that are actually kind of disconnected and dissociated from relationship. It is about recognizing the cost of ill will and (coughs) hatred and aversion in our personal, community, social, ecological lives. Um, always, Jack Cornfield visited London uh, 10 days ago and he, he told again a story that always reduces me to tears of how he was with Mahagosananda who was known as the Gandhi of Cambodia. And uh, Jack was there as a monk at the time after the horrors, the the holocaust of the Khmer Rouge had devastated that country. People were, most people were living in refugee camps from which the uh, Sangha, the monks and nuns had been banned. And Jack speaks so movingly about going with Mahagosananda and the monks and nuns into those camps and, and building little shrines. And he describes how you know, the people were so expectant. What, what would Mahagosananda and, and his Sangha say in the face of this horror, you know. And I mean, what, what, what do you say? <laughs> what can one say in, in the face of such suffering, such devastating loss? And Jack describes how he put his hands together and he chanted an ancient verse from the Dhammapada, Hatred never ceases by hatred. 
but by non-hatred alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal truth. And they chanted it again and again. And as Jack describes, people wept and they embraced each other because, as he puts it, the truth they were hearing was even bigger than their loss and their grief. And it's really kind of in the light of that, that meta is, uh, we're kind of called to practice meta by the Dharma. <laughs> you know, that this is a kind of trans-historical, trans-situational truth. Hatred never ceases by hatred, but by non-hatred alone is healed. Sometimes that word is translated as by love is healed. The Pali actually says non-hatred. And I appreciate that because that seems more doable initially. You know? Love may be quite a long way down the road, to say the least. <laughs> you know? Despite the incredible prophetic wisdom of Martin Luther King and James Baldwin and others who, who spoke about use that language. You know, you have in this country an astonishingly inspiring uh, tradition of the understanding of this right, these, these kind of teachings on meta right in the midst of terrible injustice and suffering. But really to sense, you know, what way of understanding and practicing metta feels possible. Particularly as we, you know, consider this difficult category. The perennial instruction you'll have heard before, not to choose the most difficult person in your life or your imagination, right? Start where it's easiest, you know, with the niggles, you know, the niggles and the frustrations. Start there. It's not helpful to to get overwhelmed, yeah? To trust that as we expand our capacity for this practice, we are, are building kind of heart muscles, you know, meta muscles that can support our fierceness and our gentleness, you know, that can enable a sober, realistic commitment neither to give up, neither to deny, nor to collapse into hatred. The the Buddha described hatred as like picking up a hot coal to throw at another. 
or drinking poison ourselves in the hope that it'll poison another. You know? And if there's one thing that the tradition is unanimous about, it is the cost of hatred and ill will, personally and socially. It may be that with this niggler, this person who niggles you and frustrates you, you need to imagine them a bit further away than your best friend, right? Or see the, see the situation at work in black and white. Yeah? You see it without, with the, the kind of color drained out of it. This is, can be helpful in just... Okay, this is a really difficult situation and I'm not going to let it be a vivid movie that's here. Yeah. It may well be that today you say, okay, I'm practicing with the easiest person today and that's what feels most supportive. Yeah. And yes, there's grief and heartache and deep pain and sometimes we need to move between wishing someone well or at the least not wishing them harm and metaphor our own hearts you know Sometimes with these more difficult categories, alternating is really helpful. Yeah. I really appreciate um, us being able to kind of reflect and practice in, in this way, together, at this time in history. Does it feel like you have enough sense of, kind of personally, where to go with the practice during this session? We've got a bit of time. Yeah. And really to trust that if, if what you practice with is just the easiest categories, trust that that is a really valuable contribution. A really valuable contribution. We need to be resourced. We need to be resourced. So, settling into whatever posture most supports your practice at this time. Sensing the the ground. Really receiving that contact and that support of ground. 
holding the, letting it support the holding of the whole body in a gentleness, a friendliness. Breathing that friendliness through heart, body, mind of this moment. And letting your heart and your body guide you in practicing metta in the next space of silence, in whatever way feels most appropriate, most. Supportive and appropriate for you right now.
So an encouragement to continue to make this theme of metta part of your practice as the retreat continues. And also just to acknowledge that uh, it's, it's difficult to speak about these themes. And although the teachings on uh, metta are universal, I'm also conscious of being a visitor to your country. And I want to say that if, if anything I said earlier or uh, was insensitive or any words or phrases I used were poorly chosen, then I really apologize for any offense taken. That was certainly not my intention. Another uh, just administrative thing is that we're running a bit behind with our replies to notes at the moment, <laughs> for which further apologies. But uh, we're certainly aiming to make room for everybody who's asked for an interview. And so you should receive a note in response to any requests. So, so time for some of those now and also then uh, for the walking period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.